I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Can you hear me on the phone? I've got you coming out of every orifice. (laughs) I'm really not, you're breaking off quite badly. Hello, and welcome to The Lock-In, where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Where were we? I forgot. I have too. We're locked in today with Alistair Campbell, the man who inspired our recent guest Armando Iannucci to create Malcolm Tucker in the thick of it, a man who made public relations something not merely to sneer at, but to be rather alarmed by when he was Tony Blair's spin doctor. As if that isn't enough, he's now produced another volume of diaries, the eighth, if you please. Alistair Campbell, what possible excuse is there for an eighth volume of diaries? Well, it comes after seven and before nine. <laughs> That's enough, is it? Well, look, I, if so long as people want to read them, which they appear to do, I've just, I've, 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 the reason I was a little bit late is because the publishers asked me to sign another 200 fronts pieces, which means that they're still, people are still buying them. And, and also, I think that. I do believe diaries have a, an important role in historical assessment. How did you actually write it? Um, just wait there, I'll show you. So that is... That is a... Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Handwritten. A few bits that are sort of stuck in, so that... That looks like something I probably wrote on a plane or somewhere because I didn't have the book with me. So they're mainly, they're mainly microscopically handwritten in a mix of longhand and shorthand. Um, and it's part of my therapy. What kind of therapy is that? Well, uh, end of the day, emotional dumping ground did this, did that, put it in context, sort of think about... I think at the end of the day, partly to think about what registered and what mattered. And also I think that both keeping a diary, and certainly I've noticed this publishing a diary as well, I can spot trends that then become quite interesting to how what I do with the rest of my life. 
Don't you find that you sort of start doing things for the benefit of the diary? I don't think so. I don't think so because I've done it for so long. Um, I think if I look, put it this way, I think if I look at Alan Duncan's extracts so far, I suspect a little bit of that has got on. But I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but it's, it's possible subconsciously you think, um, and when I'm doing the diary, I, I'm, this may sound odd, but I never ever, a whole time that I've ever kept a diary, I've never thought, oh, this is, this would be really interesting in print. I've never thought that. I've never had that thought. And I think it's quite, it's, there's something a bit sort of surreal at the, this volume. So this is like 2010 to 2015. So I'm, I'm, I'm writing about the publication and the editing process of previous diaries. Now, that is a bit kind of, you know, winky-wanky, I, I guarantee you. But that being said, that is partly what I'm doing. Therefore, that's what I write about in my diary. Don't you, at the end of the day, though, haven't you worked hard enough to want just to go to sleep? Um, yeah, but I'm not... I, I, I'm quite... I like to stay busy until I fall asleep. Um, although I've got much better at reading now. I, my, my, the diary keeping habit which used to be when I was doing everything longhand and shorthand in a in these big A4 books um, I was very very disciplined about it it was almost like I had to do it it was almost like brushing my teeth before going to bed I had to do it whereas now that I've got a bit more time and a bit more freedom I'm much more lax and I can think oh, I'll wait till tomorrow I'll wait till the day after and sometimes I'll do like a week in one go um, now, the truth is, if you do that, you forget things. Now, it doesn't matter, because what you remember is what you remember, and that's what a diary is. But, um, no, I never worried about being tired doing it. I, I've, it was part of my kind of routine. Isn't it rather vain, though? No, I think vanity is... Uh, is it vain? Look, I mean, I don't... Here's the thing. It would be vain, I think... If I felt every single person on the planet really couldn't understand the world unless they read them, that'd be quite vain. I don't, I mean, the publisher will kill me for saying this. I don't really care if people read them. Who is this unfortunate publisher? <laughs> oh, they, they, um, they like them. They keep saying, we want more, we want more. I actually was going to stop after volume four um, because that was kind of, as it were, that, that was when I, I left a sort of formal position. But interesting, I did a... Uh, I'm talking to you today. I did a podcast with Steve Richards the other day. And he was saying, actually, he's fi he finds them more interesting now because they're a little bit a little bit distant and it's a little bit of a, a more... maybe a more quizzical eye. Um, now, and I think also it would be vain if I thought, right, the purpose of publishing these diaries is to make myself look better than I am. That would be vain. But I think anybody who's read them would accept, I think, that I'm as hard on myself as I am on anybody else, with one or two exceptions, like Boris Johnson's not going to come out well in the future. What's uh, wrong with Boris? What? What's wrong with Boris? Well, he's a lying shit. Um, he's, uh, he's a charlatan. He does tell... He has told lies, I agree, and he's been found out in them. Well, he, you say he's been found out, but he, w when was the last time you saw him challenged on... Your old organ, the BBC. I mean, actually, your old programme has done it a bit, but not much. 
The guy's a the guy's a fucking liar. I mean, he can't open his lips without lying. Oh, Fiona just shouted, "Stop swearing!" Um, from a sedentary position. No, but he, he, I think he's a thoroughly bad person. I think he's the worst prime minister we've ever had. And I think your profession um, seems just to have sold the pass on it. I find it really, really, really bizarre. He's, he says and does things that, had it been Tony Blair, had it been Gordon Brown, to be honest, even if it had been David Cameron or Margaret Thatcher, your profession would have been going up the wall about it. And it seems to me that you've, a lot of you have given up on calling out the lies. What's gone wrong with it? I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I think it's very, very strange. I see things virtually every day. Look at what's happening in Northern Ireland at the moment. Um, I mean, you, you know, you have it on camera of him making a succession of promises about things that wouldn't happen. They've now happened in terms of the, the border in the Irish Sea, the, the, the different status for Northern Ireland, the things that he promised the unionists would never, ever happen over his dead body. Throw the, red t throw the paper in the bin. Tell them to phone Boris Johnson in Downing Street. It's now happening. And you see what's happening in Northern Ireland. Now, it's not all about Brexit. It's not all about Boris Johnson's lies, but a lot of it is. And yet it's very rare when you see the coverage of that that, you sp that the link is made. It's almost like this stuff is just happening. And I think what that's a consequence of, consequence of is the news just being about looking at here is a moment and this is what is happening and we're going to say what it is. And the context is stripped out. And I think the other thing is that the right-wing press, Mail, Sun, Murdoch, uh, Telegraph, Star, etc., they're so invested in Brexit because they fought for it. They're so invested in Johnson because they wanted him to get a majority to get Brexit done that they have suspended the normal judgments that normal newspapers make in normal times added to which they've always been very biased to the right as well and that has a disproportionate influence on on television broadcasters as well you're just a bad loser aren't you no i don't think so i think i'm a rather good loser um and in politics we've had to get rather used to it in recent years um and i don't see this like, look brexit is a big part of this but it's not just about brexit i think that if we if we you, your profession, continue to sell the pass on the genuine holding to account of people in power, then we are sliding into a very, very bad place and it can happen quite quickly. Now, in America, they, you know, Biden beat Trump and a lot of the damage that Trump did to the, the if you like, the body politic in America, that can be to some extent reversed. Um, but because of our electoral system, the, it's entirely possible that Johnson can win a referendum by lying, get through the negotiations by lying, see the consequences of his lies play out in the way that we're seeing with, you know, bad effect on trade, bad effect on our standing in the world, bad effect on the Good Friday Agreement, as he was warned, and yet go on to win a general, another general election. I think if that happens, we're in a very bad place. You think Keir Starmer can't win the next election? No, I think he can. I think he can. Um, but I think it's, it's worrying that we're at the end of a year in which 
I'm not saying that Boris Johnson and the government are responsible for 130,000 deaths, but they are responsible for quite a lot of them. Uh, we're at the end of a year in which they have, I think, grossly, grotesquely mishandled the, the pandemic. Uh, they have failed to deliver the Brexit that was promised. Blair would have made a better job of the pandemic, would he? Well, I don't know because he's not there. But I, I can look at other leaders around the world who've made a much better job of it and who seem to me to be much closer to having the values and the policies of somebody like Keir Starmer. OK, who's done it better then? Come on, this is a world leader in vaccine production and in rates of infection. Well, the vaccination programme has gone very, very well um, thus far. I think it's hitting a bit of a bumpy road now, but it's gone very, very well. And I think the two, if you're looking to give credit, I think the, the three groups of people to whom credit should be given for that are those who have made the vaccine, the scientific base, and the government did play a role in that. Um, but that's a global thing. Uh, you know, that, that, that is about the science base. Boris Johnson ordered the vaccines. Let me finish. Let me finish. The second person is Kate Bingham. Uh, and yes, he appointed her to do that job. Fair play. And the third person is Simon Stevens, who heads the National Health Service. Johnson played a role in that. And what Johnson has done his entire career, I saw it very closely in the Olympics. He's very good at taking credit for other people's work. He's very good at avoiding blame and avoiding responsibility and taking credit. Now, I'm not saying that's not a political skill, and he's got that political skill. But if you're talking about the vaccination programme as the only point of reference, and then you go and look, we're going on at the moment, he's, he's talking about we're going to, on this roadmap, irreversible roadmap to freedom. I was watching a rugby league game in Australia the other day with a huge crowd in the stadium already. That's a populist right-wing government, but actually they took the pandemic seriously from the word go. You look at Taiwan, you look at, you look at New Zealand, you look at so, some of the South American countries have done better than we have, not Brazil. Why is Brazil doing so badly? Because they've got a right-wing populist leader as well. Trump, Bolsonaro, Johnson, Putin, they are the four leaders of the infected world. <laughs> Which part of that do you disagree with? Well, I disagree. I, I, I look at the rest of Europe, which I see from the flag on the wall behind you. Well, I exist to wind you up, Jeremy. I know. Well, you're doing very effectively. That's good. <laughs> well, look, if we're, if we, if, look, it seems to me, Jer Jeremy, that uh, before too long, it will be seen as unpatriotic for a BBC journalist to broadcast to the country without a union flag behind him or her. That is where we're getting. And why are they playing? Why are they playing this game with the flag? Let's just, let's just unpick this a little bit. Why are they playing this game with the flag? Because of the two challenges that they've had as a government. Uh, Brexit, a big one. They're failing on that. Covid, a big one. They're failing on that. Leveling up, don't even get me going. Right? But if they can stoke up a few culture wars, then they can keep their what they would define as their media base happy. And they will have the Daily Express banging the drum for them, the Daily Star banging the drum for them, the Sun banging the drum for them. And they hope that by the end of this, we will all forget that 130,000 people died. How many people died in those other... How many people have died in Australia? 
How many people died in Taiwan? How many people have died in South Korea? I don't know. Do you? Yes, I do know. It's minimal compared to what we've we've seen here. Minimal. And when you look at and what they're doing with the help of your profession, if I may say so, they are. It's it's almost like this thing just happened, and then the vaccination program came along. And haven't we done well? Well, other countries have done better at every stage of this, and this is what happens. When you elect, I'll tell you one thing, Jeremy. You, you're you've been a journalist all your life. I've been, I was a journalist before I saw the light. And the one thing I say, I've got a lot of respect for journalism, and and for good journalism. And I think we've needed it now more than ever. One thing I am absolutely convinced of: looking at Johnson and Gove, do not put journalists in charge of countries, because ultimately this guy is about the next story. He's about the next line. He's about the narrative. He is not ultimately somebody, to my mind, who wakes up in the morning and thinks, "How do I help the people of this country?" I don't believe he thinks like that. Alistair, isn't there something absurd about the fact you've already been calling out a lot of so-called right-wing newspapers? Isn't there something absurd about newspapers being so partisan? It enables those who work for them to think it's a bit of a laugh to make things up. Yeah, maybe, but I, listen. I worked. I worked on a partisan newspaper for many years. I worked on the Daily Mirror, and I can remember. You talk about making things up. I can remember Richard Stott, who was my editor. This would be in the eighties or nineties, maybe the early nineties, I think. And we were coming up to a budget, and it was Sunday for Monday. I didn't have much to write about, and I wrote a piece about what I thought might be in the budget. I didn't say it would be. I didn't say major to cut this tax, raise that tax. I said this is the sort of thing that might be happening. Richard called me into his office and he said, "Have you seen the budget?" I said, "No, of course I haven't. You, you know, why would I see the budget? Why are you writing this crap then? Why were you writing that crap? I was writing that crap as a speculative piece." Because I had a space to fill in the newspaper, as a result of his bold leadership, I wrote something else. But my point is, editors today, a lot of them, they don't give a shit whether it's true or not. They don't give a damn, and they will write it, and then it will be shown to be wrong, and nobody ever gets pulled up for it. Your profession, Jeremy, you got you know you got to call it out for what it is. And I think the thing about the thing about partisanship. In newspapers, I think it's fine to be partisan, as long as that partisanship is admitted. What I can't stand about our newspapers is that they project themselves as being kind of you know objective, you know like Fox News, fair and balanced. And I think what's wrong with the Beeb? Sorry to keep going about the Beeb, but I'm talking to you, and you're a, you you're, you you know I, I identify you with the BBC for obvious reasons. And what I find is wrong with the Beeb is that. They will always. I mean, I can remember this when I was when I was a journalist. You know, I'd get I'd go on programs, you know, and and I'd regularly be interviewed in, introduced as the political editor of the Labour supporting Daily Mirror, the left leaning Daily Mirror. You never hear them saying when they do the review of the papers, you know, in the far right Daily Express that basically hates immigrants and has made a bloody good killing out of you know endlessly ramping up rhetoric against immigrants. Oh come on, Alistair! What? 
mean, you're the man who made up the story about John Major tucking his shirt into his underpants. <laughs> well, that's not quite true, actually. It's true I, enough I, for the Daily no, Mail. No, it's not. No, you see, Jeremy, you need to do your research. You need to check out the death rates in Taiwan and New Zealand, and you need to check out the history of that story, which was not my greatest moment. But let me tell you something. I, I wasn't the first person to write that story. Oh, who, who beat you to it then? I think it was the Mail on Sunday. And then, latterly, I wrote a piece confessing that I had had seen the shirt. Now, I'm not going beyond that. I am not proud of it. If Fiona's still listening down, down the stairs, she'll shout at me again because she thought it was a terrible piece that I wrote, and I think it probably was, I, and I wish I hadn't done it. You wish you hadn't done it? Anything else you wish you hadn't done? Uh, there was a couple of times I turned up on Newsnight, and as I got home in the car on the way home, I thought, what the fuck did I do that for? <laughs> but no, not, not much. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. But don't you think you're the root of the problem? This business of the whole... This business of the whole thing being about presentation. You're the author of not. that. But it's not. It's not. And it, it, look, th that is, this, is, this is why I'm really going to sort of lay into you now, Jeremy, because, I, well, I think that that is one of the lines that was constantly run against us uh, when, we were, when, when Tony Blair was prime minister, when we were in power. And... I actually am not 100% convinced that you believe it. Um, but what I think it was, lots of things were happening at the same time. The first thing is the media age was becoming a reality, okay? The media was moving from being, you watch the news once a day, you get a paper, to the media being kind of omnipresent in our lives, around us all the time, TVs everywhere, newspapers that were also having to, you know, migrate online, then social media, etc. And then... I think the other thing that happened was a, a trivialisation of the political debate. Now, you could argue that politics played a role in that, um, but I, I think in the main we were trying to adapt to a very changing media world. And I just feel that 
We were in power at a time when the media was utterly obsessed with itself. And the whole focus on, for example, what I did as the presentation became like, you know, bigger and more interesting to you guys than the policy that was being developed and projected by prime ministers and ministers. And so I think the whole thing about spin was uh, there's been presentations since, you know, read the Bible, for God's sake, the best... Some of the best sound bites in, of all time are in the Bible. The best sound bite of all time, let me tell you, in my humble opinion. Which is the best sound bite of all time then? Veni, Vidi, Vici. Absolutely. There's nothing better. That's There's not in the Bible. That's, that's Julius Caesar. I didn't, I didn't say it was in the Bible. I said some of the best sound bites are in the Bible. I then went on to say, and the best sound bite of all time is, you then interrupted me. Before I told you what it was, I'm well aware who said Veni Vidi Vici. Well, that's Sorry. something. And what's more, it is, it's a great, that's, so my point is, this idea that sound bites and presentation, what's the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments is a way of listing important messages. That's what communication is. So, but it became the sort of go-to catch-all spin. Let's call it spin. And... You know, this lot, they don't spin, they lie. I think you've accepted that. You didn't push back on my notion that Johnson's a, a liar. We got accused of lying the whole time, but we didn't. What? I accept he has lied. Yeah. We know that. And I think he probably admits it to himself in the darkness. Of the, yeah, in the middle of the night, probably he does. Mm, not sure about that. You think that sofa government as Robin Butler called it, was an adequate way of governing the country, do you? Honestly, Jeremy, that's another sort of... Sorry, but that's another sort of lazy Daily Mail cliché. What does it matter what sort of chair a Prime Minister sits in? Added to which... It's not to do with the chair, it's to do with the style. No, and the style, but how many... You... The, the, the theme of the so-called sofa government emerged from the fact that Tony Blair operated in the way that he did, and I'll describe how I would see Tony Blair's operation. He knew what he wanted to do as Prime Minister. He had a pretty clear strategy of what he wanted to do. He wanted to try and keep the Cabinet pretty united, and most of the time, most of the time it was. He wanted to make sure that he ran a pretty tight ship and a pretty professional organisation. Now... Back to my point about spin. If there was a discussion about a big policy that was developing, you lot would be more interested in who was in the room as he was saying something about something that he was about to announce in Parliament, as opposed to actually saying, Tony Blair's about to go to Parliament, maybe we should cover that. So it's all nonsense, Jeremy. And honestly, I respect your brain. I think you've got a good brain but you're not broadening it enough if you're still stuck in the idea that Tony Blair was all about sofa government. Well, thanks for the lifestyle advice. I'll do my best, Alistair, to improve. That's good. I think that, I think that, would, that would benefit the world if you could expand your horizons a little. Why do you still care about all this stuff? Care about what? All these, these accusations made against the Blair government. I don't, I don't care, but if you're going to put them, I'm going to, I'm, I like having an argument. And also I think that 
I think historical, I guess this is another reason maybe why, why I write, why I publish my diaries. I think that if you look, if I look at the Conservatives who've got enough advantages in the political landscape in the UK, what with a biased supine media um, and most of the big money going their way and all that stuff, another advantage they have is that they're very good at playing at history. So if you want to think that all Tony Blair was about was spin and sitting on sofas, that's a very convenient way of saying, well, the Good Friday Agreement never happened or, uh, part, you know, civil partnerships for gay couples which led to gay marriage never happened or a minimum wage never happened or Bank of England independence never happened. You, you sort of weed out the, the big stuff that really changes the world for the better and you focus on the trivia and the shite. Whereas what the Tories do is they bang on the whole time about wasn't Empire marvellous, wasn't Churchill wonderful, wasn't Margaret Thatcher the greatest Prime Minister who ever lived, and you lot swallow it. So that's why it's important to keep going on about this. And the illegal war? Well, it wasn't illegal. Uh, and Iraq, if, it's, if you're referring to the Iraq war, I presume you are. Um, in fact, I recorded in the previous volume, Jeremy, one of my most enjoyable interviews was the night of the Hutton inquiry when it went exactly against what most people in the BBC, not sure about you, I, I felt you had a more uh, mature attitude on that one to a lot of your colleagues, but because it didn't go the way that you all thought it would um, and the allegations of wrongdoing were disproven, um, you all went into, well, that's just a whitewash mode. But again, to your credit, I don't think that you did. So... Iraq is a big part of the Tony Blair legacy. My point is that if you've been a three times election winning prime minister, as he was... Do you think you can walk on water if you win elections three times? No, I don't think that at all. I think that, in fact, I don't know if you've read the latest volume of diaries to which you began the interview, Jeremy. I trust you have, because I know what a hard-working journalist doing all your research you would be. Um, however... In the assumption or the, the possibility that you may not have done so, um, and I can always tell, uh, you'll realise that within this volume, there's an awful lot of reflection, both by him and by me, about how it comes that somebody who was seen so positively in 1997 could seem to be, uh, come to be seen so negatively by so many by the time of 2010, 2015. Um, now, Iraq is part of that, but actually I go in to some of the other issues that relate to that as well. We all get sick of politicians and prime ministers, don't we? Eventually, all political careers, famously the Enoch Powell thing, that was actually it's all take, always taken out of context, the, the Enoch Powell comment about all political careers ending in failure because such is the nature of human endeavour. People just get sick of prime ministers. That's what happened with Blair. Well, no. What happened with Tony Blair is that he left office two years after winning a third general election. This is what you do. You make these sweeping statements. Everybody gets sick of prime ministers. Some people do. Don't forget, with it back to our electoral system, most people who become prime minister do so with two-thirds of the population voting for somebody else. What you do when you become Prime Minister is you have to try to sort of build that sense of unity around a, a, a sort of big project for the country. 
And I, I would argue Tony Blair did that pretty well, but he was a lot less popular when he left than when he began. That's absolutely true. Others, I think you could point to, um, I mean, Churchill, for example, I mentioned Churchill. Churchill's reputation today is far higher than it was for a lot of the periods that he was alive. Um, so you could argue that some people don't get sick of some politicians. I think you look at a lot of American presidents, you look at them and you think, well, they, they were, there was a time when, when Bill Clinton was sort of hated and loathed. I say he's pretty popular now with most, a lot of American people. Some, Abraham Lincoln, I wrote a, a previous book I wrote, I wrote a chapter about Lincoln. And I mean, some of the things that were said about Lincoln when he was the president, they honestly, they would make your hair curl. But now he is sort of globally revered. So I don't think it's as simple as that. I think if I may say so, Jeremy, that's another lazy caricature. Keep them coming, keep them coming. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm going to, I'm going, while we're talking, I'm, as you obviously haven't read the book, I'm going to look you up because I know there's... There's a bit in here where, where Ed Miliband slags you off and he says, you're the problem. I'm going to try. You carry on talking. I'm, I, being a man, I can multitask. Um, this was, this was at Sky News, was it? That was that Sky interview. Uh, oh, the, um, what, the election debate. It might have been. I can't remember. When I made the mistake of acting as a human being and asking him if he was all right... Oh, that's no, it wasn't that. I think it was when you bumped into him on holiday. I did bump into him he on said, holiday. He said you were just full of yourself. Full of myself? Oh, for heaven's sake, I did bump into him on holiday. What's that got to do with it? I don't know. Um, oh, here we are. Look at this. Look at this. Friday 9th of October 2014, out for, to a lunch event with Paxman. There's only one Paxman at Corrigan's. Pretty standard stuff, and they were clearly keen on us disagreeing on bits. Do you remember this? We did a thing where we sort of had a debate in front of an audience, and Jeremy was totally into the idea that the political class had lost it. Simple caricature, Jeremy, a simple caricature. They haven't all lost it. Lost what? I don't know what it means. I don't know. It's a diary. It's just sort of... Sharp, you know, sharpen up your writing style there, mate. <laughs> You carry on. I'm going to find this other bit. 726 to 7. You're on 726 to 7 as well. well I've got uh, over, over a page turn. That's exciting. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, this. Oh, you like this one. This is when we were doing the, the preparation for the TV debates. Tom Baldwin was a very good Paxman. <laughs> well, at least he's done something right. No, no, Tom Baldwin was a good Paxman. You weren't a good Paxman. Tom Baldwin was. Exactly. He was playing you. They felt, they felt, Ed's team, felt he would be fine at the event with Kay Burley, less good with Paxman. There you are. Ed was getting into a state, read the idea that Paxman would make it all about him. Of course it's all about him. He wanted to be Prime Minister. No, he meant you. It's bad grammar there. I said, so what? All you can control is the answers. Imagine he's somebody else, I said. <laughs> you see, Jeremy, if you'd actually done your research and read the book, you could have enjoyed this. You think I'm going to go out and be seen somewhere buying a copy of your book? 
I could have sent it to you. I, I'm, I'm a very generous sort of chap. Well, you should have sent it to me. And you, well, I just assumed that you interviewed. You wanted to. And here's another one. You've you've made it as an adjective here. Um, I think the Yanks. That's a, they're Americans, by the way. It's a slang word for Americans. Were a bit taken aback by how Paxmanesque I was on the weirdness questioning. He is weird. Ed Miliband is weird. Oh, Jeremy, honestly, it's another. It's another oversimplistic um, doodah. And when you make the mistake of being a human being, you get pilloried for it, as I did for, for saying, "Are you okay, Ed?" That was because he said something so out of character. Am I tough enough? Hell yes. Was that you? No. No. Well, you recall he said it in the interview. I do. Is that what you meant? I think he thought you meant that I've absolutely laid gloves on you all over the place and therefore you're lying in a pool of your own blood. I think that's what he thought you meant. (laughs) You really are Malcolm Tucker, aren't you? (laughs) <laughs> That's another oversimplistic. I'm going to write a piece about this, Jeremy. I'm going to write a piece about how you're just you're full of these oversimplistic lines and you haven't developed. You are Malcolm Tucker. You're you, you're you make Malcolm T- Tucker seem like a vicar. No, I don't swear as much. I, how many times have I sworn today? Two. Men, no, many more times than that. Have I? I said I said the F word. That was not good. And I said the S word. So there you are. You've only made um, six mentions in, seven, in eight, 800, 816 pages. Now you're criticising me for not appearing enough in your fucking diaries. I know. I'm sorry, but, you know, there we are. Now my producer tells me you spend a lot of time on Twitter. Now he's not old enough to know any better. But you've got no excuse, have you? Why? No, I don't, actually. It's uh, it's an illusion. So I probably tweet, what, half a dozen times a day? Don't look at the replies? It's not much. That's too much. It's so vicious, isn't it? Oh, sure. Uh, it's only vicious if you look at it for the viciousness, I think. I mean, a lot of it is vicious. I don't know yeah, why but... they call it social media. It's kind of anti-social media. No, but, I mean, I had... I posted a picture of... Uh, Fiona and I had our little civil partnership last week and there were 25,000 likes and lots of warm, cuddly comments. I think it's only vicious about politics and the media. The media get a lot of, and particularly women, there's a lot of misogyny on there. I think women get a far harder, far more vicious end of it than men. I don't know why you bother with it. Well, why? you might as well say why bother with anything. You've asked me why I bother with defending the Blair government. Why bother publishing diaries? I mean, we've all got to do something to get through the day, Jeremy. I've got some one other thing just to pick up with you before we finish, which is this assumption by you that you seem to think the BBC is left-wing. It's not. I don't think that at all. You think it's right-wing, do you? I think it's overly influenced by the right. Oh, sorry. I've got that wrong as well, then. You've got that wrong as well. I mean, how on earth? Where have you been? Do you just live in that sort of book-lined study and don't go out and see what's happening in the world? My criticism of the BBC is, is that we have a very right-wing populist government that has the BBC in its sights and the BBC has decided the best way to play it is to play, play along with that 
and to be nice to Boris Johnson and not to call him out for the lies and not to expose and not to cover stories with the same passion and vigour that they would if it was a Labour government. The BBC should take the gloves off, should it? And that they're overly influenced by the right-wing media. I've never... And I think that the the, the idea the BBC is left-wing is a myth peddled by the right. Oh, for heaven's sake. It can't win, can it? It can win, and it does win. And what it doesn't recognise is it's putting itself at risk of losing by not recognising that it does win. Everywhere you go in the world, people respect the BBC. They are putting that at risk by the way they're covering this government, in my view. And I was saying to somebody the other day that Johnson, I don't know if this is true, but I read somewhere that Johnson had said the reason he went from journalism to politics was because, quote, nobody ever built statues to journalists. There is a statue of George Orwell outside the BBC. He would do well to reflect on that. Thank you very as, much, Father. As would you all. <laughs> OK, well, I think that's quite enough from you. Well, there you are, Alistair Campbell, the real Malcolm Tucker, the nation's most prolific diarist since Samuel Pepys, and not a man for sweeping generalisations. Next week, we're locked in with someone who, if he wasn't a child, I'd accuse of getting a bit big for his boots. He's Andrew Hunter Murray, author of the best-selling thriller The Last Day. On top of that, he's one of the elves responsible for the inexplicably successful podcast... No such thing as a fish. That boy has it coming. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.